from the dark web to your radio dial. You are listening to CyberTalk Radio on News 1200 WOAI. Welcome to CyberTalk Radio. I'm your host, Brett Pyatt, a 20-year internet security veteran. And we're talking uh, smart medical technology this week on the program uh, with a startup founded uh, by two Trinity students here in San Antonio, uh, Gavin and Andrew. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having us. Yeah. Okay. So uh, we'll give the listeners here that are going to be with us uh, on the radio for just a few minutes the the high-level overview. And then if if you are listening to us right now on 1200 uh, AM and you did want to catch this in full but you're not going to be in your car uh, running around for the next hour or uh, wanting to uh, continue to sit and listen, uh, you'll be able to get the rebroadcast of this up on our website on Tuesday, March the 5th at www.cybertalkradio.com. It'll also be out there on all of your favorite podcasting services. If you have a podcasting service you prefer to listen to content on and and uh, where you cannot find our program, reach out to us on Facebook or Twitter. Let us know. We will fix that, and we will get you a CyberTalk Radio T-shirt. So, uh, guys, tell uh, our audience a little bit about Patch. Right. So we are uh, Patch Technologies Incorporated, and Patch itself stands for uh, Pill Administering Technology for Compliant Healthcare. Uh, it's kind of a long, <laughs> a long we're, acronym, and we're going to call that Patch for the rest of the program. Right, right, right. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but it explains exactly what we do. Um, we essentially uh, invented a smart pill bottle cap that connects to an app on your smartphone the same way uh, Fitbit connects to the Fitbit app on uh, on your phone, um, and then it connects uh, via Bluetooth and essentially lets the patients know when to take their medication. The the actual cap lights up and gives signals to let the, the patients know that it's time to take uh, their medication. And then every time they dispense a pill, uh, it lets the phone know, and that that data is then, is then uploaded so that uh, their health professional, whether it's their doctor or in the case of a clinical trial, their researcher know that they've taken their medication yeah, so I see the couple of use cases there in clinical trials or like where you have a patient that really needs to be taking a specific medication on a timed basis. But, right. I mean, going back to my childhood, my mother would have loved this if, like, I could just put my vitamin in one of these pill bottles and it would have just make sure that I take it without her having to nag me and follow up with me all the time. Uh, she could have just had the uh, app on the smartphone go ahead right. and do that for me. Right. Yeah, yeah, we get that all the time. Um, we explain basically what... Uh, what patch does and and nearly on every occasion we get someone who says oh man my my mother my father i would love you know something that told me exactly when to take my pills and if i took my pills on time uh yeah there's a lot of variability uh, and it certainly it certainly works and the consumer market. Yeah, I mean, I even see like as you guys continue to go on this from a, a healthcare perspective. If I had medical insurance uh, and and I was supposed to be taking high blood pressure medication or something else like that, right? It um, had been prescribed. If I wasn't taking it and had a heart attack, my insurance company might like to know that I wasn't taking my medication, right? Uh, and so those sorts of things. It could be interesting to see how some of this evolves over time as you have these different. Uh, folks out there uh, in the healthcare system that are all motivated to have us live healthier and, and, and whether it's by taking medication or all sorts of other different things, right. ways that can help uh, ensure that we stay on track there, uh, many benefits to this. Yeah, yeah. I, I, benefits in, in, um, in plenty of markets. We've looked at nursing homes, rehab facilities, uh, just the, just in the consumer the portion, um, 
something like $700 million are wasted every year because people don't take their pills as they prescribed. And most of that comes, well, actually almost all of it comes from people just forgetting. Yeah. And then they take it and they flush it into the sewer system and then some of the pills don't dissolve in water. Please, folks out there, if you have unused prescription medication, please do not put it down the drain. Please do not flush it down your toilet. Right. Take it back to a pharmacy and have them dispose of it. Um, the pharmacist will be happy to take your extra unused pills back and dispose of them properly. If you put them into the uh, water system, some of them are not water soluble and they will not dissolve in the water. They will just add trace elements and we don't necessarily want trace elements of certain prescription drugs out there in the general <laughs> water supply. Right, right, exactly. So uh, so you guys uh, started this company while you're you're still students at Trinity right now. Right, we are. Okay, yep. so how does, how does it work running a business and going to class? Uh, first off, we have to be super efficient with kind of all of our time and really anything that we do. So, um, that's kind of our first thing is, is just managing our time. I think at the beginning stages of, of trying to do this in school, we often would be sitting in the library for like six hours trying to do a 3d print and we'd just totally forget about our homework or something. And we'd catch up, it'd be 10 o'clock at night and be like, Oh my gosh, we have to go back and do school. So, um, I think that's one of the biggest things. It's just having to manage our time wisely, uh, at this stage and kind of all the way through. But, um, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, ex for example, I have a, I have a class that's normally today at two. Um, I already let that professor know that I, I'd be, pretty late um <laughs> or may just not come today yeah you know that's a that's a pretty regular occurrence most of my uh, professors i have kind of understanding with um thankfully most of them are usually pretty excited to hear about what i'm doing and uh they're usually pretty welcoming of the idea it's certainly it's a I, I usually they're they're fine with that being the time commitment, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're not skipping class at two o'clock in the afternoon because you finally turned twenty one and you're hanging <laughs> out at your favorite local bar, right? Right. 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 You're out working on on good stuff. Exactly. Uh, so, uh, as you guys are, are you guys graduating this year? No, I'm no. I'm set to graduate next year, and I'm a sophomore, so I've got a couple years, a couple left. more years to go. Right. Yeah, so you're going to be juggling this for a while, and I mean, so this is one important for listeners out there in the audience. You're like. I've got a day job. I have other stuff. There's no way I can start a company. Uh, it's, uh, don't take that as an excuse. You, you can figure out how to carve out time. You can figure out how to be efficient. We've got right. uh, I mean, two college student founders on here uh, that are figuring out how to do it. And the academics at uh, Trinity are very rigorous. So sure. uh, for those in the listening audience that don't know uh, a ton about Trinity, it's a highly selective small private school. If you're here in San Antonio, you've probably driven by it um, on 281 down near the quarry. You might see a big football stadium out there and think that's Trinity's. That's not. That's uh, San Antonio ISD. Right. The Trinity football stadium's got a couple metal bleachers back a little <laughs> bit further into campus. Uh, right. But, yeah, the high school football games draw more um, than the uh, Trinity football games do for sure. Uh, it's, so it's uh, academic resident uh, on campus. Uh, for the first three years, you all live on campus, correct? Exactly. Everybody. Yeah. So right. um, pretty small school. Like, that campus is just there, uh, and uh, it it's one where – uh, yeah, you, you have to let your professor know you're missing a class. I mean, many right. of mine were I'm in a giant lecture hall with 400 people. If I skipped a 2 o'clock in the afternoon class when I was in college, no one knew. Right, exactly. Yeah, I had a friend take notes for me. or I had a, I had a, Back in my day in college, we didn't have smartphones. We had a cassette recorder. So somebody would bring a, a cassette recorder and sit down and, and record onto a little micro cassette tape the, uh, the <laughs> lecture, and then we could listen to it right. or copy it again on, on tape recorder. Yep. Yeah, technology evolves quickly. Yeah. <laughs> so you guys have, have started this, and 
where are you guys getting the money to build your prototypes and how is all that coming together as college students? Cause I mean, I was, I was working trying to be able to pay my tuition back when I went to school. Mm-hmm. So, so we actually competed in the Stumberg competition at Trinity. And, uh, one of the benefits of competing in that is that you get $5,000 stipend and the summer to work on it. Um, so you get 10 weeks in the summer to live on campus, um, and entirely work on your product and your service. And so one of the first things we did, well, first of all, we, we got to the summer competition, we pitched and we ended up being one of the finalists. And so we got to the summer. And I think one of the biggest things for us was coming into that summer. We didn't realize how big of a, a play that time was like we didn't realize how much we needed that time and so we got into probably the middle of june and we're like wow we have this idea we have like 3d models but we don't have anything to show to these investors or anyone really and so one of the first things we did was we said okay we should go out and we need to raise money and so we went out and we raised a hundred thousand dollars in two weeks uh which was unbelievable for us um with coming to coming to private investors with um really just an idea and yeah. and some pamphlets that say this is a great idea, um, and so yeah, I mean that that money was just so important for us just to begin with, not only for a confidence sake, but also just we use that money to actually build the prototype. And so uh, we then went out and we contracted with BJ and Engineering, which is a local uh, in private engineering firm, and and we actually worked with their entire team to uh, build the entire entire prototype in a matter of I don't know three or four months. Um, and so then we, that was ready by September and now we're just about done with our second prototype of the, of the bottle. And so your backgrounds individually, you guys, um, engineers, <laughs> software developers, uh, what type of, what led you into, to figuring patch out and then, uh, kind of gave you the skills you needed to be able to get through to having a prototype here. So, yeah. Yeah, uh, Andrew's actually uh, computer science, and I'm I'm mathematical finance. Uh, neither one really lends itself to the skills needed. Um, it was an idea of mine um, to to pursue it and to and to formulate the idea of of the patch cap, and then we both started working on it. I had some previous previous knowledge of using CAD, using some 3D print printing software, stuff like that. But then we basically learned from the ground up. We, we started designing. Um, we spent probably a thousand hours in the bottom floor of the library in our first semester figuring out how 3D prints work, how to do designing, um, a lot of different types of engineering. Um, we made several different iterations of the model. Uh, so it was a learning process. Yeah, I don't think either one of us got got any of that from our traditional education in that sense. I think I think one of the biggest things, though, going back to kind of what we're studying is um, he's mathematical finance and I'm computer science and philosophy, as he said. But um, I think one of the biggest things we took from that was not really just like the technical expertise you get from a computer science class, but really kind of like the basis, the fundamentals of computer science or the fundamentals of philosophy, which are kind of rooted in this kind of like problem solving. Yeah. And so when you're writing code, you're not really writing code just to write code. You're writing code to find a solution to a software problem. Um, and I think that's one of the biggest things that we've kind of taken away from this is just really um, there's so many fires to put out along the way. There's so many problems that you can solve within this service that we're creating that um, it's so important to have that just kind of basic building block, that basic knowledge of how to problem solve. Um, and I think that's one of the most important things that we've taken from our majors uh, rather than kind of like the technical aspects of it. 
Yeah, that's uh, one of the fundamental ones, it's, and it's one that uh, any kids out there listening to the audience or parents, uh, critical thinking, problem-solving, logic frameworks, um, all of your uh, kids, especially those in, in middle school and high school right now, uh, need to learn those skills uh, because as we start to solve more things with software, um, just like a pocket calculator made it so we didn't have to do basic arithmetic, and then now you're up to uh, an Excel spreadsheet where you, even from a finance perspective, um, don't have to be able to actually do arithmetic hardly at all, even right. on the finance side. And as you, you get through, you need to understand the equ equations, but Excel's got all of the stuff, whether you're calculating rate of return or payback period or NPV or any of the right. finance stuff, mm -hmm. uh, net present value. I don't mean to use acronyms on the air. Sorry out there, listeners. Yeah, all of those things. Excel does that. And, and as we, we get into artificial intelligence and machine learning, it's going to do more of these quantitative things for us. And critical thinking, problem solving, uh, logic, those skills uh, and creativity are going to become more and more important. Right. Uh, so you guys are, are working on this. What have you done with all of those uh, the original 3D prints? Do you still have some of your lids? <laughs> oh, yeah. We do. <laughs> uh, we have this this uh, bag full of different colored 3D prints. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's kind of uh, at some point I, th I think we'll probably do something with it, but it's just a, a Walmart bag right now. Oh, that's perfect. Have you have you heard the, the story of uh, Thomas Edison on the light bulb? have not. Yeah, so uh, out there, listeners as well, uh, if you go check our show archives, we've had on David Monroe from the San Antonio Museum of Science and Technology. And David is a, an engineer here uh, in, from San Antonio that uh, worked uh, on uh, the original personal computer, which was uh, developed here. You can learn more about that on the episode. But he also uh, has purchased a bunch of things at different auctions over the years, including a whole bunch of the original Edison light bulbs. So Edison uh, tested over a thousand different filaments inside the light bulb and tested different filament combinations uh different gas combinations like on sealing the bulb like do you make it a vacuum do you put argon in it do you do all sorts of different things in there and went through thousands before they finally kind of settled on the one that went and got rolled out as the kind of mainstream light bulb from a reliability and affordability consistence of design and manufacturing perspective uh, yeah, so it's very. It sounds as you guys were talking through your your whole medicine bottle cap designs. I'm thinking it's just like the light bulb. You got to keep iterating and iterating over and over. And I think this is an important one for especially some budding entrepreneurs and folks out there to to realize. It's not like you guys came up with the ideal design the first time. You're just like, here's right. this magic epiphany. I've got this perfect design, and I'm going to go do it. You've <laughs> yep. got. You, you have a keen understanding of a problem that folks have and something that needs to be solved, and you keep iterating on how you're going to solve it until you get to the to the correct design. Right. So you, as you, you've gone through now, you've got this whole bag full, you've gotten to a, a prototype, and um, this summer, what are you guys going to be up to? So we actually got uh, selected as one of the, the companies to be doing the Students with Startups program at Trinity. Um, which is, a, I think, a really fantastic opportunity for us. It, Wait, students employing students. Right. Awesome. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, it, was, it was a little surreal to see a lot <laughs> of, um, to be on the other side of the table interviewing yeah. people that we knew on campus. Yeah. So are you interviewing any folks that are going to be seniors this year? So you're interviewing actually somebody who's further through school than you are? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so it's a little odd, but... Uh... It's good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, good yeah. yeah. So that's, but that's mostly what we'll be doing this this summer. Is that um, we're still in the process of deciding um, who it is that we're going to have on our team. Yeah, likely one to two 
one or two in, interns out of the eight that we interviewed. Um, and then we're going to pull them aboard. Um, we're going to basically knuckle down to, to getting the service fully rolled out. Um, and that's going to be the large majority of what we're doing this summer. I, yeah, do you have any? Yeah, so as a, as a student company in Students and Startups, are you guys going to be able to live on campus or you guys have to go find your own housing <laughs> off campus for the summer? Because uh, for listeners out there in the audience, so there's uh, a program uh, It's open uh, this year for the first time to students outside of Trinity as well. Uh, there's kids from UTSA, UT, Texas, Texas Tech, uh, Columbia, a whole bunch of schools, Michigan, uh, that are going to be here partnering and um, interning with startups in the San Antonio area over the summer. If you're outside the San Antonio, from outside the San Antonio area, uh, then Trinity also provides housing uh, on the, the campus uh, over the summer for all of the interns as part of that program. Uh, but for companies, um, and my company is one of the companies, they don't let me live on campus. So what, how, what are you guys doing for the housing side of this? So we actually haven't we haven't decided on that. Um, it's very likely that uh, we're going to get an office space. Um, whether or not that coincides with where we happen to live um, is dependent on where we decide to get that office space. Right now, though, um, it seems like the, the most uh, simple solution will be getting some on on campus housing uh, yeah and kind of a special deal for yeah for us as students yeah there's there's, this should be something that can get worked out there right Uh, right yeah because i mean this is this is exactly what the whole kind of entrepreneurship program and department that they're trying to foster um is and you guys may not even be aware but i mean uh entrepreneurship is at the the lowest in the history um of the u.s um if you go all the way back to World War II, entrepreneurship stopped during the war mostly, but then after the war, there was a huge boom of entrepreneurship, and the rate's just been declining since then in the U.S. So, mm. uh, yeah, if w- out there, uh, the things that uh, really has made the country successful over the long run has been people here with great ideas going right. through the pain to actually start companies. So uh, it's it's good that you're getting out and doing that, and uh, you get hopefully getting the support you need so that you uh, – aren't sleeping in your office over the summer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. You're listening to CyberTalk Radio. This is 1200 WAI and I'm joined this week uh, by the founders of Patch Technologies. They're working on a smart pill bottle. If you just turned your radio on right now, you can listen to uh, this episode in full on our website at www.cybertalkradio.com on Tuesday, March the 5th. If you are listening to us via the website or a podcasting service uh, out there, thank you for uh, subscribing and uh, being part of our audience in the program. So uh, as you guys are working on a... I'm going to call this a medical device. Like, I know it's a big giant category of things. It's like a computer software program here. Like, well, what kind of program? So with with a, the smart pill bottle here, uh, do you have to go through like FDA trials? Like what kind of regulatory approval stuff have you found your way into uh, making just a pill bottle? Right. So we've, we've actually just went through the full FDA process. Um, we basically had to. We're not done with it yet. Yeah, yeah, it's a long process. <laughs> okay. It really is. Um, we went through the process of, of doing just the, the pre-submission recently. Okay. So we did a lot of a lot of research in, essentially into where would our device classify, how should we contact the FDA, what kind of questions should we ask. We actually had through um, through kind of a second secondary connection um, an FDA expert that we were able to contact and ended up coming onto the team for a while and actually directing us and guiding us and bringing us through this whole process. And those were, those are some long days. Um, you know, 10, 10 hour days where we were essentially looking through, uh, five, 10 K pre submissions, looking at 
substantially equivalent devices trying to figure out where ours landed. And, uh, yeah, so, so it is, it is the full process to Um, give you an idea of just how cumbersome this process is. The document that we had to submit for just a pre-submission was around 50 pages and it's just initial phase. And so when we were doing those 10 hour days, we were going through pretty much word by word with this FDA expert, seeing if this was the correct word for this FDA pre-submission. And so you can just kind of imagine how meticulous and how time consuming this is, but man, it is a process. Yeah. Right. No, I mean, and, and this is a uh, one out there in the listening audience. You're like, look, there's, there's good and bad <laughs> to this rigorous FDA process. It makes sure that things that uh, out there that you're using as a medical device have rigorously been worked through from a safety perspective. The drawback is, I mean, this is a, a lid on a pill bottle. The alternative out there is zero tracking right now. Right. So right. like even if your tracking isn't flawless, it's better than the existing product in market. <laughs> like all of us right. can can see that and like anyone can can look at the device and, and understand that innately immediately. But there's so like there's going to be a delay and before you can actually have this thing out there um, where it could be on a shelf in a store and somebody could buy it. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Or they could get their insurance to pay for it or. Right. Yeah. Especially like even getting further on through to that. I'm sure there's there's more paperwork for it. So um, what's been the uh, the most uh, challenging aspect of this? So you guys have been working on this business now kind of full-time part-time for almost a whole year going back to to the 400 plus hours you spent on it last summer right i'd say that the in my opinion the most difficult aspect was was probably figuring out where the device fit and figuring out where we would enter the market um at the beginning it was uh patch was drafted up as a solution to the opioid crisis and then and then we realized that there was, there just simply was no market for this device. No one, the patients weren't willing to pay for it. The doctors weren't willing to pay for it. It was really tough to get into the pharmacy game, um, really tough to get into the insurance game. And so we started to, to pivot. We thought about, um, do we want to go into rehab facilities? Should we go to paint management sites? Should we go to nursing homes, right? And then we fi- finally figured out clinical trials. And then after finally figuring out that clinical trials was kind of the perfect spot to start out with this device, with this service, then figuring out everything that there was about clinical trials was just massively, um, almost insurmountable at, at first, just because it's a very close community. Um, finding connections is difficult. All the information, like you, you can go and search on Google trying to figure out stuff about the, the clinical trial market. And what you'll find is just so varied, um, so in specific, um, can be completely different than when you actually talk to people who are in the drug sponsor in the CRO game that are managing clinical trials. Um, so it, it's kind of a very much an expert field that without kind of really digging in and trying to interview people in that space, you could just know nothing about it. So. Yeah. I mean, the only, the only thing I know about it is that, uh, here in San, in the San Antonio area, a fair number of them must be run because there's a, a coffee shop. I get coffee at some mornings where there's a billboard posted up that says like, Hey, if you have high blood pressure and you're interested in participating in clinical trial, call this phone number. Right. Um, right. That, that's as much as I know about the, the, the clinical trial world. So it's interesting that you've been able to dig in and reach research about of the folks you've been in contact with. Um, are they running things here in San Antonio? Yeah, actually, that's uh, one of our mentors is Dr. Joseph Schmelz. He's a, uh, the director of clinical trials at UT Health San Antonio. And so 
he's kind of the perfect person to have on our team. He knows intimately everything that goes on with clinical trials. He sees them, manages them on a daily basis. So, and we we kind of got referred to him through a connection. Uh, the entrepreneurship director at Trinity, uh, Luis Martinez, he referred us to Dr. Joseph Smeltz. Um, and like Gavin said, I mean, he's been just phenomenal for us. We we text him and we're like, hey, we have a question about how CROs function with their packaging centers or something. Yeah. And, and he'll respond right away like, hey, let's meet. And, and he'll discuss this topic for 30, 45 minutes with us. And so that's been incredibly helpful for us. Um, we've also been able to reach out to some other players in kind of the business world in San Antonio that have been helpful for that. Um, people like Ryan Ward at Scraphic has been extremely helpful. And um, and then some of the other players in the medical industry as well, just kind of, I'm from Denver, Colorado. And so some of the people at the Anschutz Medical Center were extremely helpful in our kind of uh, just in the beginning stages. And so um, that overall has just been super great. Yeah. We're going to go ahead and take a quick break here at the bottom of the hour for a news traffic and weather update. This is Cyber Talk Radio, and we will be back after that break talking mentorship and uh, much more about the uh, patch pill bottle in detail. Welcome back to Cyber Talk Radio. I'm your host, Brett Pyatt, a 20-year internet security veteran, and uh, this week we're talking about smart pill bottles and medical technology uh, with the founders of Patch, and they happen to be uh, two Trinity students. If you just turned your radio on right now after that news traffic and weather update, you can listen to the full version of this program uh, up on our website or on your favorite podcasting service. It will be available on Tuesday, March the 5th. If you are listening on one of those podcasting services now, uh, thank you for uh, subscribing and uh let us know uh, what you think of the program, uh, what kind of topics you would like us to cover more. Uh, you can find us out there on Facebook and Twitter. In the first half of the program, uh, we kind of covered some of their background, a little bit about the Stumberg Venture Competition that they uh, became a finalist of and participated in last summer. And uh, we also talked a little, though, uh, about how you came up with the original idea for this uh, smart pill bottle uh, around the opioid crisis. So uh, wanted to talk some more about that of like so you, you came up with this right. initial idea and then you're working through to the uh, i'm gonna call it like product market fit of like you've got this this product where in the market are they ready for it right now and found your way to clinical trials uh as the first uh market segment where this really the product makes the most sense uh right. for or the first use case uh and target where this makes sense so how did you uh come up with the idea for this uh, related to the whole uh, opioid ep epidemic we're having here in America. Right. So it was it was just kind of a conversation, actually, I was having uh, with my dad about a week week before uh, coming to Trinity. Uh, we were just discussing um, just kind of everything. And he had just been to a medical conference um, where the, the topic of of the conference was the opioid crisis and kind of discussing it and and the issues that, that were coming up and, and everything. And so we were just talking about it and, and I kind of threw out an idea of, well, what if, what if we were able to see exactly when people took their medication or what if we were able to lock their pill bottle to where, you know, they, they'd be less likely to get addicted and then very, um, or, and then kind of mediate how they're able to access their medication. And, uh, yeah. And then, and then out of that, the idea for patch was, was born um, I ended up coming to, to Trinity the next week and uh, got placed in entrepreneurship hall. They said um, in the uh, one hour entrepreneurship class that we all had together, they're like, come up with ideas. And 
um, actually I was talking with Andrew um, before that ideation session that we were going to have where we were going to throw out kind of entrepreneurship ideas that we had and we were just discussing it um, and I think we both realized that the idea itself had had some serious strength behind it had some serious legs so we decided to go all in on it um, and I think I think from there it was really important to kind of figure out where we actually fit in the marketplace. The medical industry is so vast that there's so many places where a product yeah, like tw- this could 20% fit. of GDP. Uh, yeah, <laughs> right, I mean, right. so it's huge. It's the, the largest industry in America. Right, and so so finding uh, a niche market or niche market for, for a product like this is so kind of difficult when you have so many areas you could go into. So what we kind of found out, though, is we kind of looked into the the opioid crisis a little bit more is that the root of the problem is not real is really kind of based in patient compliance. And so we kind of found out that this problem of the opioid crisis was actually stemmed from a larger issue in the medical industry of the researchers or the doctors not knowing when patients are taking the medication. So we kind of, we took this huge issue of patient compliance and we said, okay, we can't tackle this from for its entirety, but we can zoom in on certain industries that are particularly affected by it. And so I mean, in the medical industry, I mean, I think a CVS did a study in 2015 that said that close to 75% of patients are non-adherent, meaning that 75% of patients aren't taking their medication as no. they're prescribed. I mean, um, especially like as you, you look at, at folks that, I mean, have, they're on multiple prescriptions and, and that some of them you're supposed to take once in the morning and once at night and one you're supposed to take in the morning, right. but not until after a meal, the other ones in the morning before a meal. Right. I mean, like by the time you've got a, a, a chart, a spreadsheet that lays out all the different times you're supposed to take all these different things. I mean, with, unless there's already apps out there to help you track all of that. Mm-hmm. I mean, this would be impossible. I mean, it really is. It's so hard. And so it's not really the fault of the patient so much, yeah. but, but the problem is, is that, this this issue of patient compliance has a huge economic impact. I mean, it's a two hundred ninety billion dollar ep- economic impact for the for the medical industry. I mean, it's huge. Yeah. And so we said, okay, well, this is a massive problem, but can we zoom in a little bit more? This is a pretty general problem. Um, and so we looked into clinical trials, and we saw that this really had a significant effect in clinical trials. And while in clinical trials, I think it's close to the number is closer to forty percent of patients are non adherent. And so it's a, a little bit lower number, but the the cost burden of that 40% is ranges between $500,000 and $12 million for a clinical trial, which is just absurd for between a phase one and a phase four clinical trial. It's just tons of money out the yeah. door. And I mean, it, it affects uh, all of the statistical validity because mm-hmm. the, the folks out there that are running these trials, they know that you're going to have 60% compliance and 40% non-compliance, which means they it's, they have to go to a, an even higher kind of statistical accuracy level because they've got that big variance inter- introduced. You guys can eliminate that variance out of this. Um, and before the break, if you just joined us, I mean, we're, they're, they're going through the their own FDA approval process right now. It seems like the FDA should want to fast track y'all <laughs> uh, so that they can then even mandate you or a solution like yours in future trials that require folks to take uh, drugs as part of the trial on a fixed schedule. Yeah. Right. I mean, you'd think that if you can call the FDA and let them know, that'd be great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, so we, we, we saw these numbers and we were pretty astonished by what a problem it was in the clinical trial industry. And, and so that's where we said, this is where patch kind of fits most perfectly right now. And so that's where we kind of uh, ventured forward from there. Yeah. So uh, now with, with a, a summer 
and, and now a whole year working on this, but a summer focused on it, a year working on it. Um, what are you guys going to do differently this summer? So, like, is this, your last summer was the first time I assume kind of working full time on your own venture for right. for a whole summer? Um, and did you guys try to map out what you were going to accomplish last summer? And and uh, did you get there, or do you have a map now this year? Well, how how are you approaching it? I think yeah, I think management is a is a really important uh, ability to to formulate as as founders of of any kind of venture. Um, yeah, certainly last semester there was a lot of random problem solving where we were solving issues as they came up and kind of doing things in a, a hectic fashion, spread shot, I guess, if you want to call it that. Um, and certainly we kind of figured out what we were doing along the way. Um, that's where, you know, this summer having, you know, a couple of interns who can, yeah, we can double your, your resources. Exactly. Right. Right. Being able to, to delegate and spread out responsibility is, I think, something that's crucial for us. I think also the ability to have... Um, have more of a defined goal. Yeah, certainly. We since then we've been making timelines, you know, creating creating to-do lists, reiterating those, recreating those. Uh, you probably know this, but but you've always got timelines for when the next, you know, the next milestone is. That's something that we've been doing constantly. How many of those time how many of those milestones have you hit? <laughs> Zero. Yeah. I mean, By the way, this is every entrepreneur out there. So if you're, you're listening and you're thinking, man, I'm going to start my own thing or I've started my own thing and I set all these deadlines and I've missed them all. Right. It's because entrepreneurs in, in general are optimists. Right. So you always like lay the timeline out of like this is going to get done on and we're not going to run into any unknowns along the way. And then you run into unknowns and then you run into unknown unknowns. <laughs> right. And and then all of a sudden you're not hitting that original date that you picked. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's happened a handful. <laughs> Too a many times. Number of times. Yeah, yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, but you, the thing is you, you keep going and keep checking those milestones off. So uh, you had also said uh, before the break that kind of this summer's big goal is get a full end-to-end prototype of the uh, like version of the platform and the system out there running. So I guess this is a, a, a cloud-powered uh, software backend, a, a mobile app, and then the actual hardware devices. Right, right. And so we actually have our first our – first, um clinical trial beta test at Trinity University set up for March. So we'll be actually enrolling some some study participants to actually test out the actual prototype, actually test out the app and, and the full service. So basically from there, we'll get we'll get some good feedback. Sounds like a prototype I want to, a clinical trial I want to sign up for because you probably <laughs> just get to take sugar pills the exactly. whole time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. exactly it. Right. Yeah, or caffeine pills or something else that's, uh you can legally take without needing to test that as well. Right, right, right. exactly. <laughs> yes. So, uh, so you guys are going to run your own trial here over the summer now. That's actually set for March. Oh, March. So before even summer. So like your spring break is not going to be like flying off to the sun to vacation somewhere. You're going to be getting set up for a clinical trial. Exactly. Maybe so. Yeah. 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 There's there's certainly that involved. Yeah. Uh, so as you're, you're going through this, you had, uh, said, uh, from a mentorship perspective, you got connected with someone over at, at UT Health, a uh, doctor there that is an expert in clinical trials. Um, how do you have, how have you guys figured out when is the right time to reach out and try to uh, get the advice of an expert versus doing a thousand hours of research to figure it out yourself? I think, I, I think the biggest thing that we've learned so far about mentorship is you can really never have enough. Um, you can really never get enough different views, viewpoints. So even if you do a thousand hours of research on it, um, it's still good to have someone else's opinion on it. And that's why Gavin and I, uh, we, we work 
separately sometimes on the same thing and we'll come together and we'll say, okay, this is my idea on it. This is your idea on it. How can we figure this out? And so um, I think for us having the external mentors has been phenomenal. So especially, I mean, Gavin mentioned earlier, the, the medical industry, especially the clinical trial industry, is such a tight knit group of people that they're so confined within themselves that it's really hard to access them. And so unless you have a mentor like Dr. Joseph Schmelz that we have, um, it's really hard to find a lot of the information out about that. So um, I think for us, it's just been really important to have another person's perspective at all times, no matter what we're working on at the time. Yeah, from the, the co-founder there perspective, um, the systematic thing I call that is a, a double do. You have two right. people right. that get assigned the same problem and they work through to a solution, but they may go about it a completely different way, which right. is ideal because if you can both arrive at the same place, then you know this was the right thing. Um, If you arrive at two different places, one of them could be correct still. (laughs) Um, But if you both follow the same process and arrive at the same destination, you might be at the wrong place. Right. (laughs) Right. So uh, no, it's, it's, it's good to go about that. Uh, So from a, 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 co-founding team there was always the two of you working on it did you guys ever consider a third co-founder or like a third person in the the mix here or right yeah so we actually brought on um uh, a trinity um a, a trinity grad from from last year his name's nathan delay and he's been doing a lot of our project management so essentially when we went a, went about starting the company and actually got the investment that we needed we Im- immediately delegated the the different tasks that we needed to do um so we got a really great engineering team to work on the actual the actual device and actually making the the electronics functionable and then we actually partnered with a real-time clinical trial management system company here in san antonio that that do data for clinical trials um that's that's their main service and so we basically went to them and we partnered with them and um they agreed to do all of our software development and so because we had these two teams working on highly technical things, we really needed someone to be able to mediate. And that's where um, our project manager, Nathan, came in. We brought him on um, in the summer of last year. Yeah. So probably around July, we had, we had him come in and uh, he's been able to, to really break down the process and go between the mechanics and the software, trying to get those two teams to come together. Yeah. So which which pieces of the system are, are kind of working right now and where are you guys going to be spending most of your time over the summer here? Um, I wouldn't. So the we released our first iteration of the functional pill bottle in September. And so since then, we kind of went through a whole month of playing with the pill bottle, pretty much us like dropping it to seeing like if we could break it, seeing yeah. what kind of problems we had with it. Yeah. All, and, all the things actual people are going to do with it. Exactly. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, so we spent a while doing that. And so we came up with a list of probably eight or 10 things that we wanted to change about it. Um, and some of the things we knew going into September. Um, but um, yeah, so we, we took this pill bottle. And so this second iteration of our initial prototype is actually, um, I don't know, maybe a week away from being done. So uh, we're, we're kind of excited. We're about to see the full product, um, the full actual mechanical device. Um, and then so so I guess that's not technically working yet. The, the old one is still working. But um, and then on the software end of things, uh, our first iteration of our app is set for mid this week. So um, that's actually just going to be kind of a basic application to do all the things that you'd want in a beta test clinical trial. So um, nothing is yet 
yet prepared fully, I guess. But um, we're, I think, about a week away from having everything start to connect to each other. Yeah. And then are you doing I- iOS and Android? Yeah. We are. Yeah. You're doing right. both at once. I think so. I think we're writing in React. Okay, yeah, so you have to say so. you're writing in a framework that lets you get to both. Yeah, right. I think so. Uh, yeah, and that's uh, it's always uh, one to think about out there for you listening and, and working on building something is unless you need, if you're doing augmented reality or something else, then you may need to go device-specific. But for, for many applications at this point, uh, writing in a framework such as React uh, allows you to um, reach the iOS and Android users with a mostly single code base there's still going to be some device specific code uh, but the device specific code might be 10 or 20 percent of it instead of a hundred percent rewrite if you were to write it in an android native and like swift or something in the coca framework on the the ios side right so good to go there so you and then um you guys that the app talks to something in the cloud or talks to a server in your dorm room or where, where does it go <laughs> from there right now uh, right now, we the so the company that we're working with, they have we're hosting with them as well. So they they've built an entire uh, set of servers, and and they're the nice thing about it is they're HIPAA compliant. They're everything that we need to be compliant. So so going through those kind of complications, we don't we don't really have to right now. That's brilliant. Yes. By the way, yeah. <laughs> right. well, so the the and. Yeah, I mean, the goal out there when you're building something new is always do the least amount of new stuff possible. <laughs> exactly. Just like with a, a math problem or anything else, simplify down and eliminate all the extra variables as quickly as you can um, so that you can you can really work hard on the piece that's differentiating you and not spend a bunch of time on all the other activities that you just that are neutralized activities, things that have to get done, but things that are not making your product new, unique, or special. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, brilliant decision there. So, good one. I don't know if you arrived at that on your own or through the advice <laughs> of a mentor, but uh, whichever way you got there, you'll you'll get another kudos here from your host. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, and uh, so, this is a, another. I guess is we're we're going along this. You guys have been working on this now for a year and a half. I mean, if it goes yep. all the way back to conversation before you showed up at school, right? Uh, and for listeners out there. Uh, I mean, it's the overnight successes that you see are usually many years in the the, the making before they happened. Uh, right. So a year and a half into this now, um, do you guys feel like you're like already got a bunch done? Do you feel like there's more to do still? Like how how is the the balance of the yin and the yang before you're going to be the quote overnight success because people see your product out there? Right, right. It, it still feels very much in the preliminary phases. I mean, we were. Yeah, it's been a long time coming, it feels like, because we have been working on this um, for right at a year and a half. We've dedicated, at this point, many thousands of hours um, to research and studying, to thinking, conversations and meetings, all, all that kind of stuff that comes with um, a company. Um, and yet, you know, we, we've still, we're still just now uh, getting to our first beta test next month. And so it feels like a long time coming. Um, and, and it kind of, at different points along the way, right? When we raised our first round of investment, um, when we made it through uh, the seed round, um, when we've done all these kind of things where, where people have done uh, pieces on us or we've gotten to do interviews or et cetera, et cetera, right? At, at all those points, it, it never felt like, and even now I, I'd say it, it feels like, you know, we're still very much in, in the middle of, of this massive project. Um, yeah, I don't know if, if if you have a different, I mean, that, I, I would just say the first nine months, I think that we were working on this, probably 95% of our time was devoted to research. 
And I think that makes it feel like a lot less time has been spent working on the actual physical device or product that you kind of see today. Um, so I think that, but the, I can't reiterate how important that first nine months was. Um, I think doing not only research on kind of the development of our actual device or kind of doing research on the actual market, that, that whole nine months, that first nine months was so, so crucial. But it makes it feel like this year and a half has just flown by. Right. And so when we're starting to get into a beta test now, it just really feels like we're just starting out. And so I think that's a great feeling to have. Uh, we're both super excited for kind of what's to come in the next couple of months. But um, I think we, we, yeah, we have a ton of work in front of us. Um, but uh, we've done a lot of good work up to this point. Right. Yeah. Have, have any of you ever spent thousands of hours on a project before this like any kind of hobby or thing that was just your own that was self-directed that wasn't because i mean at high school you, you're never spending a thousand hours on anything uh, right. there's no term paper no project nothing not even studying for the sat <laughs> i'm sure you didn't spend a thousand hours studying for that either right? <laughs> no no yeah not I didn't, at all. Uh, other than than maybe like athletics um or yeah. extracurriculars that, that you kind of do throughout throughout yeah your your early education years yeah, other than that, nothing, nothing like this, especially nothing with real world, I guess, application. Yeah, I mean, yeah. even athletics, it's over the course of like a decade yeah. that you spend that amount of time. It's, yeah. I mean, it's crazy. So, yeah. Um, so what advice do you have now, year and a half in? Uh, for for folks that are headed into the Stumberg competition, so uh, and we'll maybe give a little bit more. Like, what did you guys do to prepare for that uh, in your pitch uh, last summer? So I think what we did was was we devoted ourselves to figuring out everything that there could be figured out about about the market that we were entering um like i said the the clinical trial space is pretty tight-knit so we wanted to make sure that we had a a pretty intimate knowledge of of everything that that would be um touching or i guess affected by our service our device um i and, and i really think that that's extremely crucial when we talk to for example the company that we partnered with that works with clinical trials on a daily basis um the reason why we partnered with them was because their ceo was just incredibly impressed when he had a meeting with us because we were and he even told us he said guys the, the kind of knowledge that you're talking about is stuff that took me a decade to learn um and 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 not just that but but talking to investors who also have backgrounds in the medical field in the healthcare industry um and so whenever you're able to really know the subject matter and be and have passion and also yeah kind of be able to talk almost on on the expert level about certain things um it really rubs off it really shows to to the people that you're talking to that you're not just some random first year right who had an idea yeah but you're someone who spent a dedicated amount of time figuring out how that idea works and, and where it goes and and so for the the stumber competition so you've got you you get up and pitch uh in front of a, a panel of judges um so uh, do you have any tips for the folks that are kind of getting ready to get up and, and pitch in front of those judges for this summer yeah and that that kind of goes back to what i was just talking about uh know what you're talking about um it would be the number one advice that i'd give to them um, I think in general, if you're going to be in front of people talking about anything, you should be, you should know about 10 times more than what you actually say, right? So having that background knowledge that, that you can then branch off, um, and, and really get into the weeds if you need to, right? And then of course, there's always the Q and A that happens right after. And I think the Q and A is where you really see who knows what they're talking about. Any, any zingers from the Q and A that you guys still remember? 
I don't know. I think we were thrown off by a couple of questions, but nothing that was really out I don't of think our... haunting you. No. Show. So this is no. one of the other, uh, I think, things that help uh, folks succeed as entrepreneurs. Uh, you, you don't get stuck on stuff in the past that you can't change. Because like, even if you got zingered or blindsided by a question, you can go research and learn the answer to that, but you're not going to bed every night seeing flashbacks of that right. in your pillow because there's going to be a hundred things between now and the time that you launch your product where you're going to be like, well, this is another thing we weren't expecting, but you overcome it, move on. And, and then it's in the past and you're thinking about things in the future. Right. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, thank you uh, both for uh, coming and joining us on the program uh, here this week. And uh, I think uh, really excited to uh, see uh, how your trial goes this summer and uh, spring into summer. How many months is a, a clinical trial for something like what you guys are working on? So generally for phase one, it'll be six months, six, eight months. Is okay. Average. Yeah. So it'll be all the way through the summer starting in March. Right. Uh, so we'll maybe have you back on uh, a year from now when you'll have the results of that clinical trial. And we course. can talk about where you guys are going into market. Yep. Uh, if you just turned your radio on right now, this is Cyber Talk Radio and you can... Uh, Listen to this episode uh, in full up on our website at www.cybertalkradio.com on Tuesday, March the 5th, as well as all of our past episodes of the program where we've talked about uh, things all from uh, data privacy uh, through to uh, David's Law here in San Antonio and uh, all things uh, cybersecurity, internet, and uh, technology going on in the San Antonio area. You can also check out CyberTalk Radio on any podcasting service out there. And uh, if you have a favorite podcasting service where you cannot find the CyberTalk Radio program, uh, please uh, reach out to us on Facebook or Twitter. Let us know. We will uh, figure out how to get our program added to that podcasting service, and we will get you a CyberTalk Radio t-shirt. If you uh, are listening on AM radio, you can also listen to this on iHeart Streaming. If you happen to hop out of your car and you wanted to uh, stay with the program, pull up the iHeart Radio app on your Android or iOS device and you can find the 1200 AM station there and you'll be able to continue listening to the program uh, without uh, having to have an AM radio in your house because I know many folks in the listening audience, your only AM radio today is probably the one in your car. Uh, this is why the radio is now streaming. 